Okay, today's uh, text is from Psalm 42. This is God's holy and infallible word. Let's hear it. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go away the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizor. Deep call to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the, of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries, um, adversaries, taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. God, we praise you. We thank you. Uh, you are our salvation. You are our God. This is our hope in this fallen world. Lord, Please comfort us and be with us and strengthen us and help us fix our eyes upon you and your salvation alone. In your name we pray. Amen. Psalm 42, obviously, it's a song of lament. Now, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this song uh, or this song, yeah, but I'm sure that you must have heard this verse. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And there are lots of songs out there uh, that are composed based on this song. And the tone and melody is very sorrowful. Yeah, so of the song, Psalm 42, is a song of lament. Yeah, I believe that most of us here, yeah, feel this verse very close, right? because we, uh, it resonates with our hearts, because we are easily uh, feeling disappointed. We are easily feeling uh, frustrated. Our hearts are in turmoil within us sometimes. Why? Because we are living in a sin-stained world. Wherever you turn, what you see is broken relationship broken marriage, broken family, and broken people everywhere. So maybe you think uh, believing in Jesus Christ will make your life free of pain and suffering. 
And that's how we often evangelize sometimes. We tell people, oh, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He sounds like that if you believe in Christ Jesus and your pain will be gone. <laughs> if it is what you think, I hope you will change your thought on that after this evening. Yeah, the Bible never endorses that. The examples of the apostles, especially the apostle Paul, tell us that it is not so. However, the Bible does say that we will have joy even when we are in suffering. Paul wrote his famous letter, uh, a joyful letter of Philippines in his imprisonment. Christians, we cannot escape suffering until our Lord's return. But we can still have joy and praise in the midst of our trials. This is a nutshell, right? How can suffering, joy, and praise go together? The world cannot give us an answer, and I don't think the world has the answer. But we Christians, uh, as covenant people, have the answer. And the answer is in our passage today. Verse 5 tells us, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's interesting. We do not see God change the situation of the author. But we do see a joy of God's salvation and a sense of belongingness in God. And that just lit up the hearts of the, of the author and turned the tone of sorrow into praise. So for our remaining time here tonight, I will t we will take a closer look at our passage. I hope all of us will find our joy in God and his salvation. So there are three points that I will yeah, share with you from God's word. The yeah, first point is there is an urgent need. The second point is there is a desperate cry. And the third point is there is a living hope for us in God and in his salvation. So the first point is there is an urgent need. What we see uh, in the beginning of, our, of, of this passage, the first picture that the author put before us is a thirsty deer hunting for water. Then he puts himself in that picture by comparing himself to the deer. Verse 1 says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Uh, the phrase pants for is an expression of deep longing. It carries a sense of urgency. In another, in another word, this longing is unbearable and cannot be delayed. So he wants that to happen. So I think by comparison, uh, this picture of a deer that is desperate for water is used to express the author's need for God. You know, it is hard for us uh, who are in, in America to fully grasp the picture, to fully understand what it means that deer pants for water. Yeah, me, uh, I see lots of deer in the East Coast, and I, uh, but not thirsty deer, uh, but not thirsty ones. Uh, I believe California also has deers too, right? But they don't look desperate for water because there's plenty of water here in the States. When we see the deer, we see deer drinks water, they look calm and relaxing. So what this picture is for us, I think a little bit knowledge about the land of Israel can help us understand that. Yeah. 
the land of Israel uh, is a very dry land. Uh, more than half of its, ter its territory is occupied by desert and near desert. There are not many streams, rivers, so people have to dig, dig wells to have water, water sources. And there are lots of stories in the Bible, right? And happen at the wells. But for, for the deer, there's no other option. The deer has to find a water source. He cannot dig well for himself. So, so it is very probable that when the deer reach to a river, only find that river to be dried up. Do you think they will give up looking for water? Of course not. Or they will die from thirst. There is an urgent need for life that keeps the deer looking for water. The comparison here indicates that the author also has an urgent need, like, like the deer. It's like that the author is telling us, look at that deer. I am that deer. He is desperate for the water. That's, that's what I'm feeling now for God. So this is a picture that the author puts before us. So what is his urgent need? Verse 2 says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? It is very straightforward. He is in great need of God. More specifically, his great desire is to come and, before, and appear before God. The description of coming before the Lord is an expression of worship to Yahweh. There's a tradition in Israel, all the male of Israel, they have to go to um, Jerusalem three, at least three times a year uh, to offer sacrifice uh, to God. And there are many special days on which Israel are required to come to Jerusalem to observe. However, for the author, it seems that for some objective reasons, he was not able to come to the temple of the Lord. Based on the information from our passage, it is very likely that the author had been exiled to another country. He was mocked and shamed by his enemies. Even the name of God was despised. Because in the Near East, the battle between two nations often is also a battle between two gods. The waiting side will do their best to diminish the nation and the gods as much as possible. So being in such a situation, the author expresses his sorrows and sadness in verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? We can almost feel, feel the author's pain and his sorrow just by reading uh, this verse. Verbal, verbal abuses and attacks from the enemies are ceaseless all the day long. They last day long. And this just grieved the author's heart. If you were in that situation, what would you do? What do you want God to do for you in that moment? Should not a miraculous deliverance from his enemy be, um, be your most urgent need? Should not a prayer for change of our situation be our urgent need? 
the author does not ask for a change of situation. It's interesting. Instead, he asks for the presence of God with him. He pants for the Lord and his presence in his suffering situation. Let's think about our own reaction to our sorrow or sadness. I assume that most of us would ask for a change of situation or some sort of miraculous deliverance from our suffering so that we can enjoy our life again. We let the relief uh, we, we, we let the relief of sorrows and troubles be our most urgent need. Because you think that is all you need. When it is gone, my life is good. But in fact, all we need is to be reminded who our God is. According to God's justice and righteousness, we deserve even a worse suffering than, we, than what we have now. But he is abundant in his mercy and love. He loves and cares for us enough to send his son for you. Even the hair of your head has been numbered. And nothing can happen to you apart from him. Do you believe that? God never leaves you alone in your situation. Do you believe that? Therefore, suffering is never our big problem. The problem is that we are blinded from seeing God by our suffering. We lose sight of God in that. That's why our soul is cast down and our hearts in turmoil within us. We need our God. That's what we need. And the best expression of our need for God is to cry to God and pour our heart before Him. We should never forget to pray to God in despair. In despair. Sadly, most people just give up praying in the midst of their trials. The author, of the, the author of this psalm, though in great sorrows, not knowing why God let this happen to him, he still cried out to God. This leads to our second point, a desperate cry. What did the author say? Look at verse 4 and verse 9. It says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I will go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? The first cry of, of the author was a recall of the blessing, uh, blessing uh, that God has Shout upon Israel uh, in the past. The things the author recalled was a series of lively and joyful events of celebration in honor of God's blessings and salvation, in, uh, salvation for them. But now, the author was confused by what he is seeing now, by what he is experiencing now. Didn't this God save Israel from the hand of Israel, uh, from the hand of Egyptians? Did, didn't this God destroy the Canaanites, and lead Israel into the possession of the Promised Land? His theology of God seemed to contradict to his reality then. So he said to God in his next verse, in, honest, in honesty, he says, My rock, why have you forgotten me? He's confused. Why do I, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? The author feels confused and abandoned. He seemed to be having a theological battle within him. Do you have that experience? 
I think we all do. In the beginning, in the beginning, he mentions that God is his most urgent need in his suffering. But now this God seems to be far away from him. He also has a feeling that what was going on with him now was actually put by God. As he says, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. It's a divine act of God. He feels that it is God, you are going against me. You, you put these things in me. So what we see here is a desperate cry from a man of sorrow. Does God hear his cry? Yes. Does God change his situation? No. What, so what happened? There is a living hope that is given to the author. When he sees that hope, his heart is relieved, and a praise to God flows out of his mouth. The situation remains unchanged. By the end of the psalm, the author repeated his frustration that he had made in verse 5. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? He remains the same. But at the same time, the author also repeated his hope that followed that frustration. He said, Hope in God, for I shall praise him, my salvation and my God. How do these two things go together? The repetition in poetry is an emphasis. It conveys the most important, important thing in that poetry. From this repetition, we can sense that the sadness and frustration of the author are great and real. We can almost feel it and touch it. It lingers in his heart. And we don't know, and we don't know how much longer that will last. But at the same time, when he fixes his eyes upon God, he says, hoping God. And I will and I shall praise him again. He's my God in salvation. He sees hope and salvation. And he was around the praise of God again. The message that Yahweh is his salvation and God changed the heart of the author. Turned his sorrow into praise and lights up his lights up hope in his situation. And this is the God that he needs most. The message is for you and for me too today. That Yahweh is our God and salvation. The reason we can call Yahweh our God and our salvation is because of Jesus, his son. Jesus being the son of God, he has become a sovereign servant of God. He has a perfect love and a perfect desire for God and his glory. He lived a perfect life on this earth, yet he was rejected by his own people. He was betrayed by one of his disciples. He was mistreated by the soldiers, sentenced to death by Pontius Pilate, and mocked by a robber on the cross. The life of Jesus was the most unjust one in the entire history of, uh, of the world. At the night before his arrest, Jesus was deeply troubled by what would happen to him soon. The sorrow that Jesus experienced was way heavier than what we see in, our, in this song. Jesus said, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. He even prayed and cried to God, the Father, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was not praying for the change of his situation. 
You see that? But for the accomplishment of God's will, after the prayer, Jesus joyfully went to the went to embrace his death on the cross. As Hebrew 12, 12, 2 tells us that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Despising the shame, the suffering of the cross has become a joy for Jesus. Why? Because of the salvation for his people. Jesus sees that. When he sees that, he's joyful. When he sees the, the great salvation that God has, has planned for, the pe- for his people, and Jesus sees that when his death on cross yeah, can actually deliver his people. And Jesus joyfully go for it. By Christ and his finished work, no one and nothing can separate us from our God. It is true. God is now with us. How do we know? By the dwelling of his spirit through our faith in Jesus. Isn't this good news to you? At last, uh, let me exhort you with two things. If this is true. First, uh, remember your God and his salvation for you in Christ. You know, after the fall of mankind, it is so easy for us to remember the things that are bad, the things that are sad. And it's so easy for us to forget the goodness people have done to us. But Christianity is a religion of remembrance. We are called to remember who our God is. We are called to remember the work of Christ. And we are even called in our communion to remember the death of Jesus Christ. There are tons of verses in the Bible that are, that are related to remembering God. Here are some examples. Psalm 103, 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Psalm 119, 55. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. Deuteronomy 8, 2. And you shall remember the whole, whole way that the Lord your God has, has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. There are lots of other verses like this. Remembering God is exactly what the author of our psalm did. In his frustration, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. So if the saints in the Old Testament could remember God and find his comfort in God's salvation, at the saints in New Testament, we are more able to do that. Because we have the ultimate salvation from God through Jesus. The head of Satan has been crushed. The power of sin has been defeated. The God is with us forever by the dwelling of his Holy Spirit. So remember those things in your suffering. And you will be humbled by God's amazing grace in his salvation. So secondly, since we have such a, such a, such a God and salvation, come to the Lord with your burdens. Pour out your heart to Him. Never let your suffering drive you away from God, as if God has abandoned you. Remember His promise in Deuteronomy 31.8. He, the Lord, will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or 
be dismayed. This promise has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We can now come to the throne of grace uh, in hope and confidence anytime, anywhere, because He is our salvation, because He's our God. Do you believe that? Let's come to the Lord in our prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are our God. We thank you that you are our salvation. Sometimes, Lord, we long for the removal of our suffering more than you. But you have told us, you have saved us. But you have promised us that you will be with us. Why are we, why our souls are cast down sometimes? Lord, please help us to hope in you and see your uh, serious salvation in Jesus Christ for us. And let, let our hearts be aroused to praise uh, to our God forever. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this wonderful salvation, for this wonderful gospel you have given us. We love you and we need you. We thank you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's reply to the word of God by uh, singing together Psalm 42a.